we're in this series called Everything's Better in Community. And today we're talking about church community. It was about 254 AD. A wealthy couple gave birth to a guy that they named Anthony. And according to Athanasius, a really, really old guy that wrote history about this, um, well, he's not old anymore, but he lived a long time ago. Um, Athanasius wrote about this story. He did a biography of Anthony. And Anthony, he had this distinction of being apparently the first Christian to go into the wilderness, to the desert, and to live an isolated life away from society altogether. Um, Anthony gave up the wealth of his family. He gave away the possessions he had. He dedicated himself to living a life of poverty, solitude, prayer, and this thing that Athanasius calls mortification. And uh, after spending 15 years living in a cave, and uh, the cave that you see, that's the cave that they think he stayed in. Um, it used to be a tomb before he stayed in it, probably has been since. Um, he lived there for 15 years, and, and then he, he heard God say, you need to go and help the hermits that are nearby you uh, figure out a vocation. And so he, he helped them learn how to um, beat the uh, papyrus reeds and turn it into to something that you could write on. And um, he taught them how to make simple clothes. And they would sell these things every so often so that they could eat their meager, meager meals, something like once a day they would eat. Um, and uh, he probably wasn't as healthy looking as the guy in the picture. Uh, he was he was very um, austere in his lifestyle. And after the, the, fifth, the five years or so that he spent helping people with their vocation, he went back into that cave and he spent the rest of his 45 years alone in solitude. At the end of this account of the life of Anthony, Athanasius wrote a tribute to Anthony that goes something like this. I pray that I will learn from your life of prayer and always spend time seeking God in the solitude of prayer each and every day. That's Athanasius conclusion from his story. There's always been weird people in religion. You've met a few of them yourself, I'm sure. And, and all of us, when we look at these people, they're, they're fanatics. It's clear they're fanatics, but there's something about them that kind of tugs at our hearts. That's like, oh, maybe, maybe I should be more like them. I mean, just the idea of living uh, a life of poverty can be like, you kind of wonder, well, maybe my greed would go away if I didn't have any money. Maybe, maybe if I didn't have as much food, I wouldn't be a glutton. Maybe if, you know, you start to think about these things. Maybe if I didn't have any work to do, then I would be in prayer more. You know what I'm talking about? Like we kind of wonder. It tickles our brain. And, and kind of like Athanasius, we think maybe, maybe my devotion would be better if I lived a life like a guy like Anthony. These fanatical ascetics from the early church, they had one simple principle um, in mind. This, this one idea, they want to separate from sin so that they can have devotion to God. Sound good? How many of you would like to do that? Don't raise your hand. Please don't, because I'm setting you up if you do. <laughs> it sounds good, doesn't it? And, and if I let you raise your hand, there probably would be a few of you that would. I would like to separate from sin, and I would be, like to be more devoted to God. But here's the problem. What Athanasius and all these other guys don't get is that that's not God's plan. When you think about it, God's design for us isn't to flee from the world so that we won't sin. It's to run to community so that we'll learn love. 
Now, I need to ask you a question. Why don't you go to church? You're sitting here, so you're going to church, and you're asking me, why are you asking me that question? I'm in church. Um, but think about it. When you don't come to church, why don't you? What's your motivation? <laughs> We've got a raised head. We won't take options here, but uh, think of, just think about it. Why don't you go to church? When you're uh, not in church, what are your reasons? And, and I want to just suggest a few. Some people don't go to church because they're kind of like the ascetics, the people that want to escape the world and worldliness. And so they come to church and they see somebody wearing something they think is worldly, or they, see, they hear somebody saying something they think is worldly, and they think, man, the church is just like the world. I don't want to be a part of any of that. And so they don't come to church. And others don't come to church because when they come to church, they find the church looking at them and saying, oh, you're so worldly, you shouldn't be here. The clothes they wear, the things they say, the songs they sing, whatever the reason is, they feel like we're looking at them, judging them. And if they're sitting here, they're probably thinking, if you knew what my brain was thinking, if you knew the contradiction that I'm hearing when that guy's preaching, if you knew what, what was going on in my head, you'd take me and throw me out the door and say, never come back. And so those people, they don't like coming to church. Others don't come to church because they've been hurt by somebody in the church. Maybe, they, maybe there's a relational rift in the marriage, a separation, a divorce or something, and they just can't be in the same church as the person that, uh, that, that there was this brokenness with. Maybe they came to church one time and somebody was rude or unkind or mean in some way, and it just was like, I cannot be around those people. And so they don't come to church. Some people, they come to church and they see the, the church as overly theological and theoretical and they just ask this question, what has the church really done for society? I don't think it's worth my time. And so they don't come to church. Others would rather play a video game, catch a pickleball match with their friends. That's a big thing now, right? Um, or, or maybe they take their kids to soccer in the morning. Church just isn't the thing for them. Uh, other people, maybe this is a little bit uh, closer to home, other people, they like to go to climb a mountain or hang out at a waterfall, enjoy nature, right? Um, some people just don't go to church because there's a better place that they think they can be. Other people find this is too big of an experience. They're more introverted, don't, don't want to engage, so they don't come to church. And some, they don't come to church because there's a physical problem. It's, the seat hurts um, from one reason or another. They, they have to carry around oxygen and people trip over their cord, whatever the reason is. Lots of people don't come to church. Why do you not come to church when you don't come? I, I don't want to judge anybody. I don't want to come in here and say, well, that reason is a bad reason. That's not my point. But I do want to give you an argument for why you should come. Does that sound good? Well, just like, what's the point of this? We should at least understand why we come. So let's uh, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And we're going to read the scripture reading once again. Thank you, Max, for reading that earlier. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, and we're going to read a few verses here. Um, he starts out saying, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place of the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great, a great priest over the house of God, these are words, sanctuary words. Are you catching them? We have confidence to enter the holy places. That's the, the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. That's the lamb of God, right? The new and living way he opened up through the curtain. That's the, the thing that separates the, the veil that separates in the, the holy place. Um, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest, right? This is the sanctuary language all throughout. And Hebrews is all about Jesus as our high priest. 
Notice he begins with, therefore. Therefore, because of Jesus, we can enter. That's cool. Um, there's an invitation here, and he says it. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is an invitation. God says, come to me. And if you were Anthony, reading the Bible back in the day, you probably would have thought, yeah, I'm going to draw near to God and get away from the world. And so this is like a reason to go to the wilderness, right? But that's not where Paul goes. The very next verse in uh, verse 23, he says, therefore, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God's children getting together, stirring up love. That's the application he has in Hebrews. It's building, building, building. Jesus is our high priest. We can come to him together. It's in, this is like foregone conclusion for Paul that this is a together activity. The challenge in Hebrews isn't a, hey, Christians, get together once a week and do church. That's not his challenge here. His challenge is get together and enter the holy place of God with sincere hearts. Now that's, there's something more to this than just come to church. And I want to recognize something. Sincere hearts implies a certain transparency and vulnerability. And relationships, they take risk. And when you come to church, you're likely to see somebody who um, maybe isn't going to be the best person for you to interact with. Right? You're going you're gonna to find somebody, and they're going to become your friend, and then they're going to hurt you. And it's not going to feel good. Because you're, you're around people, and people do that. Um, the risks in relationship are real. And many of you have experienced the brokenness that comes through the challenge of this sin in relationships. That's just what church has because it has people. We have sin. And, and I get that that's a challenge. And it, and it causes some of us to hold church at arm's length. We're not going to engage too deeply because we don't want to be hurt so deeply. And some of us respond to that problem of sin in, in relationships with a different response. We simply... We don't want to engage in um, a relationship that's uh, going to break us, and so we cover ourselves and pretend that we're something we're not. We don't want to be hurt by this person. We think they're going to like this better, and so we act like this, right? We put a facade on. We cover ourselves over and pretend. And, and, and I think this is one of the reasons that church can seem so fake, we get there and we're like, that person doesn't look like that normally. Um, that person doesn't talk like that normally. I mean, they're, they're all good around the pastor, but I've heard them cursing during the week. And we can look and say, this, is, this church is filled with hypocrisy. I haven't heard any amens yet from the young people. <laughs> but that's just a reality of church, isn't it? We know church is a place where we can get hurt. And so we cover up, we hide, we keep people at an arm's length, we put a facade up. So what do we do with the Bible's command for us to get together with authenticity and seek God? How do we do that when the church is sinful? Now, I don't think that we should 
bear with an unsafe community. I do not think that we should be satisfied with a community that's filled with hurt and problems. But that doesn't mean that we have to abandon community. It means that we need to invest in that community. Last week I talked about um, family and marriage and the need for us to invest in marriage and even get outside input into marriage. The same is true, I think, for church. We need to invest in, develop, and organize a culture of loving community, a place where things are safe, which means that we need to do some work. We can't just, it just doesn't just happen, right? We have to invest in it intentionally, which sometimes means we need to examine things. Uh, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I asked about uh, 30 people to fill out a survey. That survey was kind of like what I was asking marriages to do last week in the, the um, Symbus assessment. We did an assessment that's more like for church health. And we got results back, and I want to say that we're a great church that has some areas to grow in. Amen? No? Oh, good. I'm really trying to get the amen today. <laughs> but we, we're a church that's great, but we have some areas to grow in. That's a really healthy thing for us to do. And then we get the opportunity to examine those areas and figure out how we can invest in those things to make them grow. And I want to let you know that there are many people in this church who do not feel safe to be themselves here. That might be you. And that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you jumped over the hurdle of that emotional challenge and that you've put yourself in this vulnerable place. Thank you for that. But we need to fix that, don't we? We need to work on healing those broken relationships. We need to work on listening well and, and uh, developing the kinds of friendships that can be trusting and uh, that, that can be safe. When we see, now there, there's one other thing that even in the meantime, while the church is still not quite perfect, it'll never be perfect. But in the meantime, before we really grow in this place where we feel like it's safe, you should still come. Even when you're feeling vulnerable, you should still come. And here's the one reason. Because you and I are both seeking Jesus. We don't come for each other. Oh, we do. But we don't come because of each other. We come because of Jesus. Think about it like this. You are... Uh, perceiving Christ's love and his sacrifice, and you, you say, I want you, Jesus. You can be my Lord and Savior. Before long, as you're growing in Jesus, maybe studying the Bible, you're going to bump into other people who are doing the same thing, hopefully in a church environment like this. And, and as you bump into those people, you realize, man, Jesus is so amazing. And they're like, yeah, Jesus is so amazing. And like, let's worship him together. That's what church is, isn't it? Because our focus is Jesus, we're going to bump into each other on our way to Jesus. That's how God designed us. And that's what Hebrews is describing when it says, stir up each other to love and good works. Don't stop meeting together. Get together, get together, get together. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that, by the way? The, the, the second coming, exactly. He's talking about the day, the day of Jesus Christ. And how many of you are looking forward to Jesus' return? Amen. And I believe that that return is soon and certainly sooner than when Paul was writing in, in uh, Hebrews, right? Amen. So that means that we should not stop getting together, but we should get together more often. And that is at a contradiction to our world. Our world fills us up with so many things. We've got um, 
sports programs for the kids. We've got work, and workism is kind of a whole other religion, a whole place where we find social connection and meaning and value. God designed a different culture. He called it the church community, and he challenges us to find wholeness and meaning and deep relationship in this community of faith. Not that we should not be in the world. Armando, we need to be in the world, amen? We need to be with those kids. We need to be with salt and light, and we're going to talk about that in the next two messages. But, um, but we, God designed this as a culture of faith. And he's invited us to come and fully engage here. Not because we need to do church, but because we need relationship in order to seek God. And while we seek God, that, that idea of family is the analogy that, God, uh, that, that he, Paul in Hebrews uses. He says that we are a church family. He calls us brothers and sisters. If I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, then we're, we're part of the same family whether we like it or not. And Sometimes we don't like it, and I get that. But we're still part of the same family, and it has nothing to do with what gender you are, what race you are, what color you are, what language you speak, what political party you follow. It has nothing to do with whether you're wealthy or poor. None of that has anything to do with this. We're all children of the king. And God has said, could you get together around the family table, please? Come on, I know there's an argument and there's a squabble there. Get together around the table. Because the solution is not in escaping people. The solution is learning to love like Jesus did. Let's consider, because God calls us together, sure, to eat together, fellowship is great, but he also calls us together with purpose. We are a family that has a mission. And there are three purposes that I'd like to suggest. The first one is to worship God. In Revelation 5, 11 and 12, I don't think I put it on the screen, so I'm not going to click. Um, he says, uh, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Anybody know what that number is? Some people say this is millions and millions and uh, 10,000 times 10,000. So we're looking at billions of angels. That's like a good chunk of our planet, or maybe the whole planet, gets together around the throne of God. Not sure how this works logistically, but they get together around the throne of God and they praise God. Can you imagine the voices, perfect pitch and beautiful, uh, strong lungs and every one of them singing praise to God? Who in this world is worthy of gatherings like that? Nobody is, but God is. And so, yeah, we can get together by twos and threes. Wherever two or three are gathered, I am in the midst, Jesus says. So we should get together in twos and threes and small groups. But God is worthy of so much more. He is worthy of the praise of all his children. And so we get together to worship him. We get together to praise him. And we get together to lift him up. Uh, Psalm 22.3 says, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. When we praise him together, we enthrone him in our hearts. Jesus is your king. This is a discipline of putting him in that kingly role. He deserves your praise. Does that make sense? We get together because he's worthy of our worship. We also are get together because God has called us to grow disciples. 
I use that word grow on purpose. Uh, and, and you can find it in John chapter 13, verse 35, where he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The discipling thing is a, you're gonna reflect me kind of thing. So we get together to grow in our reflection of Christ. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And when we get together, uh, we get the opportunity of stirring each other up to love. And that's a, a discipline of discipleship, of following Jesus. And then in, in Galatians 3.28, he makes this statement. Um, the same guy that wrote Hebrews, Paul says, there is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the, the discipline that he invites us to. Unity in loving relationship despite our differences. Uh, you and I might not agree on whether Jesus had the nature of Adam before or after the fall. I don't care. God says, get together anyway. You might have a, some interesting idea about end-time events, or maybe you think my ideas are interesting about end-time events. I don't care. God said, get together, because the point is not our unity of thought. The point is our unity of love. All the thought stuff, we're going to get that figured out one day. Some of it will get figured out here on earth, and we should be diligent students, and we should try to figure it out on earth. Some of it we're not going to figure out until it happens, and we'll get past that and say, Ha! Can you believe what we thought? And can you believe it didn't matter as much as we thought? We get together to stir each other up to love and good works. And then he says this in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples. It is an intentional work for us to stir up the love in our church. It takes organization. It takes dedication, intentionality. He says... Go make disciples. Now, we often look at this as an outside thing, but there is no outside in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is this whole world. This is his vineyard. We just have to go in and help them get connected to the vine of Jesus, to the family of God. And that's part of stirring up love and good works. There's uh, another, another principle, the third principle. Well, before I get there, I need to suggest a couple things. There are lots of really good things that are happening in this church. Uh, we get together every week to worship. This is a great place to be. And we get together regularly for prayer meeting. If you haven't gone to prayer meeting, it's a good place to be too. Anybody been to prayer meeting can say amen. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we get carried away and we pray a lot. <laughs> but, but I think we can forgive that. And then, and then there's other things, like there, Thursday nights, a couple times a month, there's a, a women's Bible study. Uh, there's this love and dating thing that we're starting up that's Bible-based, that's for young people. That's a good thing. We should get together. And if you have an idea of something that, that we should do, then you should ask, and, and we'll help you uh, market and get together a group of, of uh, people to study a subject or um, have a focus that you're interested in. I also think that it's fantastic that we have this community service that we do. We feed people and we clothe them. And we do lots of service over there at the, the food bank. I love to see on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, the people that just come with dedicated hearts to serve. I think it's amazing. We get together to serve and we should do that. There are lots of ways we get together as a church. Um, Pathfinders is starting last week. Uh, Pathfinders started next week. Adventurers. It's a great place for kids to get together and build relationships. It's good stuff. We should be part of it. But I think that as a church, we need to add something to our list of reasons we get together. Families do lots of things together. 
but the doing of things, the service, um, the, the worship, those are intentional and maybe uh, important ways that our family organizes itself. But your family, you just exist together, right? There's a lot of your life that you don't necessarily plan or organize an activity. You just, you have meals together. Um, you run around the house together, kids, right? Anybody run around the house? Especially if you have one of those houses that has the, you know, the, the, the center place where you can just run around and around and around. My house has one of those. It's fun. You should come. You can run around it with me if you want. Um, th- there's, there's something about just existing in relationship that's really important to families. And we need to create opportunities to simply exist and play in relationship. I said play. Yes, we need to play together. We need to laugh together. We need to enjoy each other's presence. And, and so I want to do something that I hope will be something you'll want to do too. I want to get together and play together at the gym every second and fourth Sabbath evening from here until the sun get, goes down too late to do it. Starting on the 23rd, we're going to have a gym night, an open gym night. Invite anybody you want. If you play volleyball or basketball or you want to play hockey, floor hockey, or just run around and chase people, you should come. And if you are not into that because your knees won't let you or whatever, you don't have that energy, that's okay. You can come too. We'll sit around. We'll talk. We'll laugh at the kids that are doing the playing. It's going to be fun. Does that sound good? Yeah. Now, some of you are like, that's adding something to my week. My week is already full. And I want, I want to challenge you. We live in a world that's designed around work, around activities. And sometimes we have to, we have to carve out time in order to do those things God has invited us to do. We have to prioritize and re-evaluate our lives so that the values that God wants us to have are being lived out with us. I'm not saying that this is an absolute, you have to come to this gym night thing if you're going to be saved. That had nothing to do with it. But I, I want you to ask yourself, is there something that I'm doing that I can, I may be focusing on the wrong things. The things that God values is maybe not in line with the things that I'm valuing. If that's the case, then come and hang out at gym night. Maybe gym night's not for you. Uh, I think, hopefully, someday we'll have this uh, building finished. Where is the building? I think it's over there. Uh, We'll have the building finished, uh, and we'll be able to get together and maybe play some board games or do some hobby craft kind of stuff. And if you're not into basketball, but you might be interested in hanging out, that might be a good place for you too. Does that sound good? We spend time together. Yeah, time. God has invited us to get together, get together, get together. And here's the third purpose that he's asked us to get together for. He's asked us to get together to witness for him. Our temptation is that this is to to tell people Jesus is coming. Let me talk to you about all the beasts and the proof that Jesus is coming soon. It's just around the corner. You should be excited. But who cares if Jesus is coming soon? If I'm hungry right now, Who cares if Jesus is coming soon? If my fingers are blue with cold, who cares if Jesus is coming soon? If I'm dealing with depression right now and wish I weren't alive, who cares if Jesus is coming soon? If I'm lonely and need a friend, who cares if Jesus is coming soon? If I have this huge need in front of me, you see what I'm saying? Jesus, he related to people in a way that cared about their person right here, right now, and he loved them. 
and he built relationship with them and he tied their hearts to his. And so when he said, I am coming soon, they were like, yeah, I really want, I want Jesus to come soon. And I think that's the way we should relate to people. We should tie their hearts to Jesus and to ours in relationship so that they long for Jesus coming. Whenever it is, be it 10 days or 10 years or 10 more millennia, Jesus coming soon will still thrill our hearts because we love him. Amen. Jesus, of course, said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, um, go make disciples, baptize, teach them. We need to do all of these things. The proclamation of the gospel should happen every time I get up here and speak or whoever speaks. It should happen every time we create an opportunity for the community to engage with us, but it should happen from the context of loving community. I've heard, uh, had a few conversations this week. God just kind of brought them up. A bunch of people have been talking to me about why, why they go to church or why you should go to church. I, I talked to a pastor who hasn't been a pastor for a while, hasn't attended a church in a long while. And uh, he suggested that the church is like a mountain. And there are seven mountains, the church mountain and the government mountain and the business mountain and the education mountain, and I forget the rest. And, uh, and he says the church is just one aspect, and we shouldn't expect the church um, to, to do everything. All the church can do is praise God, essentially. And I'm like, uh-uh. The church is all the mountains. <laughs> the, church, the church is intended to impact every aspect of life in the same way that your family isn't a dental clinic and yet you care about the teeth of your children, in the same way that your, your um, family isn't an educational institution, unless you're a homeschool family, that's a whole different subject, <laughs> but your, your, your family isn't, doesn't exist solely for education and yet you care about the education of your children, right? In the same way that your, your family is not a business unless you've got a home business, but it's still, even if you do, it's not just that. Your family isn't just that. You still care about the investment in your family's development professionally. The church is the same kind of thing. We're a family. And so we should care not just about praising God, not just about playing and eating with each other, but we should care about the professional development and the success of our members. We should care about the relational things in, in our, our church family. The... the um, Families, the, the children, the marriages, those things are things we should invest in, right? It doesn't mean we're counselors, but we should invest in those things. Uh, we should invest in our government. I'm not saying we should be politicians. Maybe we could be, but that's not my point. But we should care about that and invest in that. The church, like a family, its fingers reach into every aspect of our world. And God calls us to be salt and light. And again, we'll get to that in the next messages. I believe that the community should be a place, the, the church community should be a place where you are grounded in your love for, and love for and knowledge of God, surrounded by the love of your family of God, and launched into the world for kingdom service and practical usefulness. That's where the church should exist. Let's look one more time at Hebrews chapter 10 and just make sure that we're leaving this conversation on the note that Paul started us on. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near together with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us come together before the throne of God. We are his children and he says, come. And so we do. We come together as a church community.